0: Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All right, so I have the joy of sitting with Jannie Ortland and Julie Lowe after our women's conference. We just had a weekend of meeting together at CCK and speaking on the topic of contentment and finding our um, joy in Christ and trusting him and they just did a fantastic job serving us and talking on a variety of topics and we opened up the ability for folks in the conference to ask questions and you guys did a fantastic job sent a lot of questions both pertaining to the topics of their talks but even some general ones so I'm going to try to get to as many of those as I can. Um, and we'll just see how many we can get to. Well, first, let's have you introduce yourself. So, Janie, can you tell us who you are?
1: I'm Janie Ortland. I'm married to Ray Ortland, who has been in ministry all of his life. Uh, we've been married 48 years, and we have four grown children, and grandchild number 14 is on it her way. We're grateful for that. Uh, right now, I serve as vice president of Renewal Ministries, which is our ministry through which we speak and write.
2: Julie? My name is Julie Lowe. I'm from the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, that's a mouthful, in Philadelphia, and I'm on faculty. I teach and I counsel and I write for CCEF. I have a husband and five children and I will follow quickly behind Janny someday with grandchildren.
0: Um, Julie, can you share your testimony with us?
2: Sure. I I was raised in a Christian family. My father was in ministry um, My whole upbringing so he was a pastor and then a christian school administrator so i grew up uh, in that environment and in christian circles and i'm i'm sure when i was little i accepted the lord but i think it's a great example of progressive growing in the lord and very key times in my life where i i embraced understanding the gospel and christianity in new ways and I call it kind of a, a progressive sanctification in even my salvation and my accepting of the Lord where there were just key moments in life where I had to understand sin more seriously mm-hmm. and understand grace more seriously. And uh, so it's hard to pinpoint an exact time. It's more a, a growing, I think, and saying, Lord, yeah, I want you to be my savior, and I want you to be my Lord, and I want you to be my everything,
0: and growing in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so great for us who are raising children in the church that's the testimony we want them to have Mm. of just progressive growth in the lord so thanks for sharing that i'm going to start with just general questions about contentment um i got several questions with um they wanted you to elaborate Janny, you talked about it's possible to be content in a situation but not necessarily with it and so i had women asking about uh what does it look like to be content and yet want to see godly change you know, Mm -hmm. things that the Lord wants, growth um, maybe in someone else's life or even in the world in general. Um, You definitely addressed that a bit, but could you elaborate a little more on what that would look like? Sure, what it looks like in our own Mm -hmm.
1: lives. In Mm -hmm. my own life, it means when I talk about being content in a situation but not being content with it, it means I don't feel guilty if I cry over it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel guilty if I'm praying about it a lot. I don't When I'm struggling with something like contentment in a certain situation, I have to ask myself, is this Satan tricking me? Is he planting seeds in my mind? Or is this of the Lord? Is he encouraging me to pray so that he can show me how he'll work a miracle? Um, I think it's very possible to be content in a situation while not being content with it. And it's not a sin to ask the Lord for change. What do you think, Julie?
2: Uh, yeah, I love how you say it. Um, another way to say it is that I don't have to call what I'm going through good, but I can still call God good. Oh, that's I can good. still say mm-hmm. the situation's broken, but I trust the Lord in it. Yes. And so there's many ways of saying that where we struggle with living. With brokenness, and it would be silly for us to try to pretend it's not broken. Mm-hmm. But to say, yes, this is doesn't feel good. It's not good. But God, I trust you to be good even in the midst of it. Mm.
0: That's a very helpful clarification. Yeah, because
1: contentment really—it's only tested in the yeah. hard times. Yeah. So that's what we need to learn how to mm-hmm. when to deal with it.
2: Yeah, or we all would feel content when life's going well, we feel content. That's But it's right. really, real contentment comes out when life's not going well, when yes. we know where our hope lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's good. That's helpful. Um, another similar question is, how do you balance contentment with godly ambition as a woman?
2: Interesting. Um, godly ambition. Well... I mean, Janny talked about Proverbs 31, She and there's a great example of somebody who worked hard, who put effort in, who got up early in the morning. It's being uh, gifted or skilled at something, or desiring something, and to say, I always want to be yielded to God's will, regardless what it is, but that doesn't mean I can't work hard, and I can't pursue things, but I, at the end of the day, say, Lord, your will be done, not my own. Uh, so... Ambition's not usually a word I think of. I don't think it's a bad word. I think we tend to think of it in a negative light. But I think everything has to be submitted to the Lord's will, whether it's ambition, whether it's satisfaction. You can go in a bad direction in any way you go. But I think we're all gifted differently. We're all driven differently. And there's freedom. God creates freedom in us to be different in how we pursue things. The question at the end of the day is, but Lord, do I want your will more mm-hmm. than mine?
0: This question has to do, we talked a lot about contentment, maybe in a more long-term situation, kind of assuming that, but she wanted to know in like moments where something bad happens, just, and not even a horrible thing, but like something where maybe your kid's throwing a tantrum or you need to go clean up a massive mess or a coworker made you really mad. Like, do you have any thoughts for how to battle just that flash of discontent anger might be a better thing that she's really talking about but you know what what she means she's talking about just like in a moment this is going to go away eventually but in that moment what are your thoughts for how to battle kind of that kind of a temptation
1: I in my own life the question comes up why why now why (laughs) this and that is the first clue to me that my heart is not at rest there's kind of a why me, Lord? Why would you let this happen? We were driving up to the conference. Ray, my wonderful husband, was driving me, and we had plenty of time, and we hit really terrible traffic, and we were about an hour and a half late. And, you know, I was thinking, why? Well, I'm speaking on contentment. I'm speaking on my soul will find its rest in God alone. So I tried to apply that. I need to speak the word to myself. One of the things that helps my own heart, rest contentedly in the Lord, is when I meditate. And I try to take a verse, usually every three to six months, and just the verse that's speaking into my life at that time, and meditate on it. And God uses that to bring it back to those hard, awkward, painful, surprising Mm -hmm. situations That we all deal with day to day, whether it be the unexpected phone call, the fall where you break your wrist, the bill that comes through the mail, the date that is canceled, whatever it is that's frustrating, then our response can be, what is your word in this Lord, not not, what is mine?
2: Yeah, I think that speaks to expectation. Like we should all expect that there will be messes and there will be frustrations and there will be screaming kids and diapers to change and hard things. So are we surprised that hard things are just hard, that God's the God of the mundane and the God of the messy and the God of the difficult and the painful? But day to day, we're just seeing the Lord play, play out in our lives and faithfulness to that.
0: How do we teach contentment to our kids?
2: That's a whole other book. Go for it, Julie. You know what? I'll actually answer that in a backhanded way that my concern for our generation of kids is entitlement. And entitlement is the opposite of contentment, right? It's not happy with what we have. It's entitled for what we think we should have. And I've been hugely concerned with that, that we don't cave to it. And I think from a parenting standpoint, the pressure is that we have to give our kids everything that their peers have. Mm -hmm. And then we have children who are being raised entitled to what I deserve rather than learning to live in want. I don't know many kids that do, that they Mm -hmm. learn to see suffering in a good way and living in want and delayed gratification. And so I don't think you can teach contentment if you're not willing to teach some of those harder things. Mm
1: -hmm. I think in our own home, I I love what you said, Julie, about entitlement, that's so good. In our home, the way we taught the best was through modeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that we would verbalize, oh, you know, the check f- for this article didn't come in, so we're, we're, we are going to have pancakes for dinner again tonight. or And that's good. Aren't we glad that we have pancakes? Mm. Re- you know, some people don't even have pancakes to eat tonight. That kind of verbalizing what's going on in my own heart in the disappointments in life sets a, a standard, I think, for the children. They hear it, they see it. We can't teach something that we're not modeling. And Paul does say, both Julie and I brought it up in our messages from Philippians 4, I have learned to be content. So we, as we teach our kids, we can model it, and we can say, we're not the only ones, not, not just Mommy and Daddy have to learn this. Paul the Apostle had to learn it. Every human being has to learn it, and you get to learn it too. Isn't that wonderful? Kind of make it a positive, growing, maturing thing, something to attain to that will please the Lord.
0: Um, how do we enjoy God's good gifts, maybe family, home, our job, without them becoming an idol or them becoming our refuge?
2: how do you balance that yeah that that sounds like this stems right from things I was talking about and you know God knows our hearts I mean he probably knows 20 things I find refuge in that I shouldn't find refuge in and he's faithful enough not to take them all away from me right now (laughs) because I do but knowing that if I want to grow closer to the Lord I always have to have my hands wide open to good gifts And the moment I hold on to them tightly is the moment I am in danger, that they've become a refuge and I'm in danger of losing them because a loving God shouldn't let me hold on to them. If I want to grow closer to Him, I need to want Him more than all else. And so, you know, I look at that with my new home. I look at that with the things I have now and I occasionally will think, Lord, are you gonna take this away? And I've got to say, "If, if you do, I'll still call you good. You'll still be faithful. And so it is living with your, your hands wide open and trusting the Lord with even the things that I love on this earth. Hmm. Hmm.
1: That's good. I think for me, it helps to concentrate on living for today and not worrying about what's out there tomorrow. Elizabeth Elliot's husband, Jim said, wherever you are, be all there. And I tend to look out ahead and, and worry, oh, what about when Ray dies? Or what if this grandchild is not born healthy? Or what if, what if, what if, what if the conference site totally flop? All of those things. And it, I'm just wasting emotional and spiritual energy. I think the Lord gives us the joys for us to enjoy then. He, in Deuteronomy 28:47, the Lord says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Mm-hmm. It's like, he wants me to be joyful in this goodness. And that fear that, okay, maybe I love this too much and he's gonna take it away from me. I'll let him handle that. As Julia said, he'll, he'll treat me as his daughter. He'll care for me as his beloved child. I think it's Satan that causes us to be anxious and worried about all of those things. Why not enjoy our kids when they're little? Why not enjoy the home that we have today? We don't know when it will be taken from us. So with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of this abundance, I'm going to praise you, Lord, and I'm going to try to embrace it today. And if it becomes an idol in my heart, show me. I'm totally open to your work. Yeah.
0: Definitely. What is the difference between contentment and complacency? So, maybe not being motivated to grow and calling it contentment. How can you discern if it's one or the other?
2: Well, you think of the title of our of your conference was uh, Mm -hmm. a deep abiding in the will of God. Complacency doesn't abide Mm -hmm. in the will of God. It's just Accepting life as it is, it's drifting away from that. One is a meaningfully meaningfully moving towards the Lord and resting in Him. Another is just kind of taking the easy road or becoming complacent towards what's important.
0: Okay, so the next set of questions had to do with trials. Um, Julie, you spoke about that. And, and you talked about what someone said that wasn't helpful to you in a trial. So a lady asked, in light of what isn't helpful to say during a trial, how can you help someone in a long trial, and what do you wish your friend had said two months after a fire? Yeah, I don't know,
2: there was a lot to say, and I actually think that's the issue, that sometimes we don't need to say anything at all, we just need to love them. And there are times to move them forward. You know, I think of, I told some humorous stories of ways I was thinking afterwards, but I can even remember when we went to look at a rental house, they wanted us to sign the lease for at least six to nine months, and I'm like, no, I mean, that's way too long. We're going to be back in our house, and somebody had to look at me and go, Julie, you're not going to be in your house for a lot another year or two. You have to rebuild it. So there are times where we need other people to help us think clearly. Um, we, I don't want people around me to be silent when um, I need to hear hard things, but there are places and times for that and there are places and times where we just need to be good at walking alongside the sufferer and we're not very good and we offer platitudes and cliches that harm people rather than help them. And you hear this all the time when people die or they lose a children or a spouse and we say foolish things like, don't worry God, will provide you a new one or Mm -hmm. like people are replaced, we just say hard stuff that misses why somebody might be suffering. And so if you're going to say anything, I say ask questions, um, understand how they're hurting, and just be with them. One of the sweetest moments, I tell the story about Mike Emlett, one of my coworkers is he came to the hotel, we were in a hotel for a week, Red Cross put us up, and Mike came uh, with something to drink and just sat with us and just talked with us in a hotel. I mean, nobody thought of doing that. I wouldn't have thought ever of going to somebody's hotel room and just sitting with them, and he did that. And that that has stuck with me years and years later, because that's just love personified.
1: Mm-hmm. I really agree with that. When we've gone through difficulties, nothing like losing a house, but some ministerial difficulties or miscarriages. Our son-in-law has had severe stage four cancer. The, mm. the people who came and cried with us. Just sat and cried, had no advice, but just felt with us. Those are the people I remember and I feel the closest to and I felt the safest with. I felt like I could really let out those thoughts that weren't so Christ-filled and I could be myself with. Just sit together. I love that, Julie.
2: You know, the other thing that stands out, uh, my son, when he was diagnosed, he's been progressively losing his vision. Somebody else said something to the effect of, um, well, you can be the new advocate for disabilities or for vision loss, and I remember sitting there thinking, I don't want to be a poster child for disabilities, that's not what I want to do. But thinking that we're always trying to put a positive spin on something instead of just saying it's sorrow. It's just, why can't we just let it be sad? And we move towards trusting God after that. But there are times to just say, this isn't
0: good. It's just not good. That's very good. Um, What do you do when you or a friend um, is going through a trial and they're really not feeling God's presence in the middle of it? It's maybe long term. another person asked it this way how do you encourage someone whose faith is fragile as they go through suffering are there resources or ways you you already kind of spoke to how we can do that as a friend but are there other things maybe resources or ways you would you would encourage a struggling friend in a trial
1: I would ask God for a specific word or phrase from scripture several if possible and try to communicate those in beautiful ways whether it be on an index card written out in a basket full of fruit that you leave on the front door. Mm. Whether it be uh, in a text message, I'm praying for you with this short phrase. Whether it be, could I take you out for coffee? I just want to hear what's going on in your heart. And then you slip her another verse. I think God's word is what that person needs to cling to more than anything else, and when they feel far from God, they usually aren't in the Word, or when they're there, they're so troubled they can't hear it or or feel it touch them deeply. So sometimes we can be very gently and, and mercifully and gracefully a conduit of God's Word to them because they don't have the strength or the spiritual energy to seek it out themselves.
2: Yeah, and the irony in that is that is they are drawing near to God by us drawing near to them. We are God's royal priesthood in that moment where we're, we're bringing them near to the Lord by, by modeling Him, by imitating Him in what we do. And so that's the beauty of human relationships, right? That when it's rightly ordered, God uses us to draw near and to draw Him near to others too.
0: What truth should I believe if I am tempted to think my trials are God punishing me?
2: I, I There's so many ways we could probably answer that. But to say God is a loving Father, and God's not standing around with lightning bolts waiting to zap us when when we mess up. I, I don't think we'd want to draw near to a God like that. There are consequences to sin, but... God loves us, he's always wooing us back to our first love. And there's Genesis to Revelation, this I have against you, you've lost your first love. Mm -hmm. And God's not out to be punitive that way, he's out to woo us back to him and give us hearts that long for him. And suffering is one of the ways he does that. It reminds us what's really a value.
1: I try to remind myself that the only person who will ever be punished is Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. for my sake. God never punishes me once I put my faith in Christ.
2: Lamentations talks about that. In Lamentations 3, it says, God does not willingly bring affliction to the children of men, that though he brings grief, yet will he show compassion so great is his unfailing love. And here here is actually a city where destruction is brought upon it, and they have walked away from the God. And you see the Babylonians enter in and lament after lament after lament. But it says, I remember who God is and this gives me hope. Um, His mercies are new every morning. His compassion is great. He doesn't willingly bring affliction. So that reveals God's character, who he is. He just doesn't operate that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that God bringing it to us or is it our enemy? You know, I often have Mm -hmm. to ask myself, even in my own thoughts, is this from God? Or is this from Satan? And if it's, if it's from God then I listen and I bow and I welcome it because he is good and kind and he does not willingly bring affliction. But if it's from Satan I say get behind me Satan. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to think that about my heavenly father. He he's not shaking his finger at me. He shook his finger at Jesus at the cross so that he would never shake it at me. He welcomes me. Romans 8. How will he not? He who gave up his own son how will he not also with him give us all things? So I I think that when we go in our minds to God must be punishing me because of this awful situation, we need to go to the Word and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me what you want to learn. What is of you? What is of my own mixed-up theology? What is of Satan? And just put me on a path to know you more.
2: Way too often I think we allow our circumstances to define God's character rather than God's character to define our circumstances. And that's what she's saying. I'm looking at my circumstances and I'm letting it define how God is. Instead of saying that, that's not who God is. Let's understand who God is and let that define our circumstances.
0: Very good. So, Janie, you spoke on being fearlessly feminine. And so I wanted to ask both of you, for someone who maybe heard that and it was completely new, and they're like, what? (laughs) Uh, Or they have a lot of questions. Are there resources or just a way you would suggest that they study that topic and grow in their knowledge of that?
1: There are a lot of resources for Christian women. I would suggest start in the Bible and look through all the women of the Bible. Make a study of women in the Bible. How did they relate to God? How did he enter into their lives? That has helped me. Um, There are a lot of good books out there. Julie, you would probably know a lot of resources as well. Uh, Susan Hunt is one of my Mm. favorite authors on biblical femininity. Mary Moeller has done some good Bible studies and written a little bit on biblical femininity. But um, what you want to do is fill your mind with the right resources so that you can hear from the Lord what he is saying for your own life. And work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your own salvation, but work it out. God, what what do you have for me as a woman
0: in today's world? That's great. I agree. You mentioned in your talk about how a woman can set the emotional tone in her home. So a lady wanted you to elaborate on how to do that. in a way that glorifies God and helps the people in your home so go for
2: it you know it's funny because I think of this metaphor I've heard over and over of being a thermometer versus a thermostat like a thermometer mm-hmm. raises with the emotions where a thermostat levels it and evens it out and I often think of that be honest as a parent like I can get frustrated with the chaos or frustrated with the little bickering or Um, With the conflict and I can rise with it or I can choose to be the calming voice in that situation and the one that brings uh, peace to the home and My kids are always looking my husband the people around me are always looking to say how is this person responding to it? And can I keep my cool? Which doesn't mean I don't have emotion doesn't mean I can't be frustrated or upset but I don't sin in that and I choose to put others first rather than my own convenience in the midst of that. So I guess it really depends on what the struggle is in the home to how to do that. But to say whenever I choose to be godly, I'm am being a thermostat, right? I'm setting the tone for for the kind of environment that I want to foster in my home.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Someone needs to set the emotional right. environment within. It can't the be the home. kids. Although in some homes it is, often, isn't it? yeah,
2: too often it is.
1: And so why not be a woman who rises up and says, I want this home to be filled with patience, acceptance, whatever the emotion that you're working on yeah. that week or month or year. Yep. And, and if I'm asking it of others around me, then I would like to model that. I would like to have the Lord shine through me in that way. I think it's really important. Women do set that environment often, especially when Dad comes home. If he's been tired, spent, then she needs to minister to him as well. It can be hard, but why not? Why not take that on and be happy with that? that That's the role the Lord has given to us. What an honor to be able to do that. What a privilege.
0: How would you encourage a woman who feels like her life is outside of the idea of biblical woman, maybe because she's single or childless? How can she live fearlessly, femininely, I don't know if that's the right (laughs) grammar, as a single woman?
2: I'm trying to think how to answer that because there's an assumption I don't think we can buy into in that by saying you're more feminine by being married or more feminine by having children and I I think that's a false assumption so it's I think going back and saying God has designed us all differently and God's created some to be single so he hasn't created them less male or less female if they're single right he's calling us to submit every aspect of our lives fulfilled or unfulfilled um, and it's assuming you can only be fulfilled if you're married and have children as well. And so culturally, even in the church, I think we, we misrepresent what it means to be those things. They're all good gifts, but God calls us to each live differently, right? So it's not about whether I'm more male because I'm married or in a leadership position or I'm less or more feminine because I'm married and I'm having children, um, God is God in the midst of both of those, and you can be wholly feminine and wholly delightful in the way you express that, regardless of your stage of life. Mm
1: -hmm. That's so good, and you've experienced that in your own life, because you were a little older, you didn't get married at 20, Right. you lived as single, and you were no less a woman Right. in those single years.
2: Right, and ironically, with five children, my husband and I have never had our own, we whether it's infertility, we've we never really actually even looked into it. But to say, that's the expression. The Lord gave me a very different expression of family life with utter liberty. I didn't have to birth my own children. I didn't have to be married. I think we all have to struggle with that because I think there's ideals held out there for us. But to say, Lord, you're good and you can give me the freedom and the individuality to express my life in a godly way and it not look like the norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're always afraid
1: to deviate from the norm. We we look at that norm and want to be part of it. But what you're saying is, I think, if I hear you correctly, Lord, this is who I am. You've made me to to be this woman at this point in my life. I want to embrace that. Help me to be fearlessly feminine right now where you have
2: me. Right, and you're no less feminine, right? Exactly. Because you're being exactly who God created you to be. Yes,
0: that's good, Julie. I love that. Put some feet on it. So give some examples.
2: Well, if I you do it? If I start with me, I, I mean, I, I struggled. I, I didn't get married to my late 30s, and I was actually a single foster mom for a period of time because I said, Lord, I know you've put on my heart to adopt and do foster care, but would I do that if you never bring a husband? You're not promising me a husband, but you have put this on my heart. So I spent years just talking that through and reconciling. Was it ungodly to to take on parenting without a husband? Was it unwise or foolish and navigating all of that and saying, Lord, how do I trust you in that? Um, Some people choose to be single. Some people don't choose to be single, but it's what the Lord has chosen for them. Some people choose not to have children. Some people are childless and it's chosen for them. And all those things are, it goes back to this theme of contentment where we're deeply embracing the will of God. Um, and it goes back to, well, that doesn't make you less or more feminine mm-hmm. when you embrace the will of God. It just simply makes it the way it is. And that's hard, for sure. But we don't attach femininity, femininity <laughs> or maleness to it for, mm-hmm. for either side yes. of the fence. Yeah, that's so
1: good. One of my personal heroes is Nancy DeMoss Wolgemuth mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those of you who know her... In our listening audience. She was 50 when she married Robert and yet for those first 25 years of her ministry she taught us how to be feminine. She taught us about femininity. You don't have to experience something to be able to recognize it as true and good. But in our own lives as individuals, we do need to embrace what God has called us to, if we are his children. And we do need to say, okay, Lord, this is what you've called me to as a woman. Just help me to live it out fearlessly, because you've told me to fear not. The world tells me to fear. I don't want to fear in this. I I want to follow your call on my life as a
2: woman. And the reason fearless is such a good word is because we have culture, and even inadvertently the church sometimes telling us, giving us ideals of what that should look like.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And to say, I need to be who God's calling me to be, even when it bucks up against what makes other people comfortable.
0: Hmm. Um, Speak to women who work outside the home. I got several texts from those ladies. How do you balance trying to be a good employee with being faithful to your family and your home. You both have experienced that in real life. You're experiencing it right now. So speak to that, speak to those ladies. I hate the word balance.
2: (laughs) I'm beginning to think balance is not possible, but what do we mean by balance? What I mean is my children always have to come first. I, I say to them, and I do better sometimes than not, but I always say, there's no one more important in my life than you people. And I could be the most successful speaker, writer, counselor out there, but if I fail at loving you guys, I failed, you are my priority. Um, And I will always choose them over anything else, unless the Lord's calling me to. So is balance possible? And that's a word I think culture puts out there too. You can have it all, women can have it all. We can balance everything. You can have all these great things as if they're all equal. And I'd argue, I don't know, every value in our life is not equal. Some things are more important than others, which means sometimes I feel I've done a really bad job at work or sometimes I feel like I've really done a bad job at home. But I'm always saying, Lord, help me to trust you that in my weakness you're strong. Um, so I don't, I don't look at it like I try to balance it. I look at it like I try to prioritize it. And there's always sacrifices to make when you do that. So working out of the home or working full-time or working part-time it's all hard, and there are moms who are homeschooling and staying in the home, and their job is incredibly hard because of the children God's given them or the disabilities that they're wrestling with. Oh, there's all levels of hard. So balance is just not a good word for that. It's called life, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I agree. Balance.
1: I don't see that in the Bible. I yeah. don't see balance, but we do. What What this question means is, how do I make it work? Yeah. How can I do all that God has
2: called me to do? And isn't that a wisdom issue for it each is of us? It is,
1: for each one of us. Yeah. I know, I really fought tooth and nail going back to work. I taught four years before we had children, and then um, Ray left the pastorate to become a professor, and where we moved to was just more expensive, and after a year of trying to make it, we couldn't, and he asked me to go back to work. I really fought it. But for eight years, I taught in the public schools, and I had to learn to balance right. working outside the home with running a home full-time. I just say, you ask the Lord, okay, help me to work hard. Help yeah. me to do my very best. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. This is for you, Lord. You've brought this into my life. So help me figure it out, whether it it teaching the kids more how to help, what whatever it is, whether it's trying to find someone who can help you with some of the household duties, asking your husband more. There are different ways to work around it, but right now even, I'm trying to figure out a new way of life as our children, our grown children are asking, now that dad has stepped down from senior pastor, they say, we want more of you. Mm -hmm. And we've never been busier. And we're trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what does that look like? I would close my comment on this question by just saying this. You are your child's only mother. They have no other mother. So I really appreciate what you say, Julie, that they must be the top priority. And no one else can mother them. So make your kids your top priority, and then rotate everything else in and around it. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you're speaking to seasons of life, even where you do, maybe you do life differently. Balancing means reorienting, reprioritizing in any stage of life you're in, and how you can be at the stage you're in and be busier than ever mm-hmm. demonstrates that we, we all will struggle with it. And the grass always looks greener on the other side, or we always think, <laughs> well, when the kids are older, or when the kids are out of the house, or when this happens. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I, I'm just going to do my best with what God's given me now. Which is why I never hold myself up as an ideal or somebody else because God may be calling them to something different. And we need the Lord to say, this is what I'm calling you to do, so I'll equip you to do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. First yeah. Thessalonians
1: 5.24. Yeah. I love that. He's He's in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, the next question was from a lady who is in her home. And she's really struggling to enjoy it and love it. And so she is struggling with contentment, being at home. She has uh, children, several children at home. And so how would you encourage her to find contentment there? She's tempted to look at people who are working and be like, oh, that looks way better. Um, So what would you say to her? (laughs) It's
1: always when out there, you know, when I get married, when I have a good job when I have babies, when the babies sleep through the night, when the babies go to school, when the babies graduate, when the babies get married, when they start having babies. It's always out there, the when. And so I would encourage this questioner um, to say, Lord, why is it that the grass looks greener out there? Why is it that I'm discontent here at home? Show me. It's It's not the circumstances, it's not my home, it's something going on in my head and my heart between me and you. And work on my own heart so that I can open up my heart and say, this is where God's called me. Praise you, Lord, help me to be all here and serve you with all my heart here.
2: Yeah, it goes back to we we are always measuring each other and measuring our value based on what we're doing and that somebody out in the public looks like they have more value because what they're doing is more important instead of saying, wait a minute, I am raising human beings, little human beings. I'm raising the next generation of leaders. I'm raising the next potential Billy Graham. Why in the world would I think that this isn't an important task? And to really thrive and enjoy it. my daughter is getting ready to go to college, and there's so many times they stop and think, oh, I wish I would have talked about this more with her when she was growing up, and I wish I would have had this conversation more. And I'm already seeing how they're growing up thinking, oh, I haven't done enough, and they're almost out of the house. So these, these years are so precious to be able to be in the home and just have them to yourself and teach them, proactively shape the way they think about life.
1: Because someone is going to be influencing them. They will. And if, if we're
2: it's not, not, someone you. else will be. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yep. The next set of questions are just general. So I got some that weren't based on your talks, but they're really good. So there were a lot of teen girls there, which I loved seeing. And so one of them asked, what thoughts or advice would you have for a teenage girl?
2: Well, one obvious one to me is your identity and value is not in what your peers say about you. They're not in what social media puts out there. And how wonderful that they were spending a Saturday morning in a church learning about God's ways. And say that's that's the heart that God can work with. So that's one thing that stands out right away.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so good. I was amazed at all the teens there and how eagerly they listened and communicated with us, Julie. I would, as an old lady, I would say, it's worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. It may not feel like it at times, but he is worth anything that he asks of you. Follow him with your whole heart. Devote yourself to knowing him better, going deeper with him. You will never regret that.
0: Good. Uh, How can you help a mom? You mentioned body image. That's one of the issues Mm. that you care about and address, Julie. Um, So how can you help a mom with a young daughter who's already struggling with body image issues? She said she's seven.
2: Mm. How we model it. And yeah, I'm seeing from a counseling standpoint, younger and younger kids struggle with it. And it is, I think it's the materialism we see in our culture. I think images are bombarding kids more and more over and over. It's always been the case, but now you can have them right in front of you in your palm of your hand. And so we're always presented with images of what you should be like and how you should act and how you should present yourself. So younger and younger children are being impacted by it. I really, as much as parents hate hearing it, I really think you got to limit the kids' social media use. And a matter of fact, every secular organization that does research says that. They, they say, get your girls. Teen girls will struggle with body image issue. They'll struggle with anxiety. They'll struggle with depression and suicide the more they're on social media. That is not your friend. The other thing is we've got to actively speak and model something differently. That I can be feminine. I can love, I love makeup and perfume, and I'm going down the target aisle sniffing every bottle I can find but it doesn't drive who I am. And so for our young people to see, women can be feminine, they can be attractive, but their identity is not rooted in it, is key.
1: That's so good. Yeah, I, I love how you counsel us there, Julie. I think for myself, it's been helpful in our family with our one daughter and our four granddaughters to speak over them words from God, about his accepting them. Mm. Oh, I love how God made you. He gave you such a fun, happy smile. Just makes me happy when I see you smile. Mm. I love how you sing when we go to church. God gave you such a beautiful voice. Will you sing some songs with me right now? I love how God gave you an interest in books. Do you know when you were three years old, you were starting to read? I wonder why God did that. He's made you really special. Mm ideas of just speaking over our girls the pleasure of God's creation the joy of it in them as individuals helps them to know that there is someone on the face of this earth that thinks they're really special and that loves them the way they are along with the parental guidelines and help to not expose them to things that are really complicating in their own lives
0: Um, Janie, I had one lady write who said that at our last conference, I think it was, you talked about Sunday mornings and prioritizing them. So she's really taken that to heart. She prepares and she gets everyone into church, but she still struggles because she's tired and distracted. Um, You know, she might have to run to help the kid who needs the bathroom back in Sunday school or she has a baby. or She just wondered what you would say to help her once she gets everybody there to benefit from the service herself because <laughs> she's worked so hard yeah she yeah. just wants to
1: collapse yes. exhausted yeah i wish i could help her but i can't <laughs> i've been there too much myself oh my goodness call out to the lord oh father i'm just struggling right now you know i i tried to get the kids here in good time and not fuss at them so that they would love to say i was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the lord but now I'm not so glad I'm here. Just tell him, he knows it anyhow. He knows that you're struggling in your own heart. Ask him to change your heart. The only one who can change our hearts is God above. So bring it before him. And if you're struggling again, this is a matter of your heart. It's not that your kids are too naughty or noisy. It's your own relationship with the lord say lord why does this bug me that johnny has to go to the bathroom again why am i irritated at this something's not right show me fix it lord help me to put my eyes on you
2: yeah i i would say ditto to that and the only other thing i can think of to add would be to say sometimes it's just lord give me one thing i can walk away with today and maybe it's going to be the song that was sung at the end of the service or maybe it's going to be what somebody prayed so lord help me to find something i can just hang a hook on
0: and say all right today was enough because you gave
2: me that truth
0: so the last question i want to ask it was a great one and it it was what has been the most helpful discipline or practice in keeping near the lord you know we talked about contentment is ultimately about treasuring christ and being close to him but janie i'm going to ask you specifically you quote so much scripture from (laughs) memory so I'm going to do a little tag with that to have you talk about that and how you've done that
1: only with God's help (laughs) oh my I think the most helpful habit that any woman can ever develop is setting aside time each day to be with the Lord I mean, if, if you think, you, if you set aside 20 minutes a day, that can seem like in, an impossibility when the kids have been up all night and you know they need you in the morning, but just 20 minutes each day to be with him. Think of that over a week. What is that? Two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> Maybe two hours if you miss a day. Then add that. How many hours is that? A month, a year, a lifetime, the way you come to know someone is by spending time together. The only way you can get to know the Lord is by spending time with Him. And He's given us the perfect way to do that in His Word. One other thing that I have found helpful is, along with Bible memorization, is meditating on a certain verse. I I just ask the Lord for a verse to kind of cling to for these next few months. Um, he's given me Colossians 1:10 right now, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That helps me right now, um, as I was thinking about the conference as I'm thinking about going home, how can I walk in a manner worthy of him? If I have a verse that I'm meditating on, I write it out on index cards, I put it in my car, I put it on my mirror where I comb my hair in the morning, I put it under my pillow, I put it near my teapot, and I try to memorize it, and I I try to bring it in to where I am right then. Lord, what does that verse say about this situation? What What does it say about this podcast? How can I walk in a manner that's worthy of you, fully pleasing to you? How can I bear good fruit in this for you? So I would encourage your listeners to make it a habit to spend time with the Lord. Fight for that time. Claw for it. Scratch for it. Do whatever you need. It's more important than anything. And then begin a habit of meditating. Ask the Lord to give you just a phrase from Scripture or a verse that you can meditate on for the next few months. And then he'll give you another one. And then he'll give you another one. And more and more he'll fill your heart with his word.
2: Yeah, that's great. I totally agree. And Where I think women are um, running amok there is we're so busy that we don't think we have 20 minutes to spare or 10 minutes spare or an hour to spare. And one of the things I found that you can get women to do is if they're repeatedly playing something. So even meditating on the word could be a sermon playing in the background while you're cooking dinner. Or if you're in the car... Where you would actively be playing music for the kids, play a sermon, play something that you can listen to five times in the week because the first three you missed it because you were so distracted by other things. That's meditating too. That's letting something sink in, making the most of your time in the car or in the morning or while you're doing the dishes to say, I can meditate. We have so much modern technology that actually should make it easier for me to meditate on things that are good. There are Bible apps, there's sermons and podcasts and all these wonderful resources that says, Lord, I feel like I don't have the time to be quiet, but I can fill my space and time with you all day long. And I really love the idea of praying without ceasing. That is just, it's an open communication with the Lord at all times. And then that just invites the Lord to be able to speak into our lives too. And
1: I would add just one thing with that, Julie. I think that's so good. I I would love for our children, for this generation, to grow up in a home where they see us Doing meditating that, yeah. or they hear it in the car as we're driving.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, children from a very young age can be taught that there are certain times when we can't disturb mommy, whether you have the red sign here or you have their basket of books and they read while you read. There are ways mm-hmm. to impress upon the children in your home, that spending time with God each day is really important. It's yeah. enough of a priority that you may not bother mommy during this time unless you're bleeding or going to throw up. Right. Those are the two, <laughs> but we can do it. We can encourage each other in it.
0: Yeah. Very good. Well, Thank you guys for serving us so well at the conference uh, it was so helpful and thank you for taking the time right after the conference and all your teaching to, to answer all these questions. Um, there were a lot of questions and, and many I did not get to so I would just encourage you if those questions are still burning find a godly friend ask them to her. Some of them were more pastoral so ask a pastor they would love to answer those questions um, but But make sure you seek out a resource to help you get those questions answered. And thanks so much for listening.